Hi, I am Mary Kay. And I'm Louise. And together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks literary fiction. We are recording today's show on the 9th of June, and on today's show, we're discussing current affairs and news from the literary fiction world, translated literary fiction, and of course, sharing our current reads. Um, also just a note, things are changing really quickly and also time is a vacuum right now and it feels weird to release episodes that have nothing to do with like the thing that happened the day before. So thank you for bearing with us on that. And just so you know, we're not like skipping over anything important. Correct. We are recording again on June 9th. (laughs) So anything (laughs) that happens between now and the time when you're listening to this, please don't think that we were just like, well, that's not important enough to talk about because it probably is, but, um, you know, we have a little bit circumstances, of, right? A little bit of headroom on our end. So, yeah. Um, before we get into all of the things that are happening, uh, which is a lot, um, mm-hmm. let's hear from one of our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk Ride Paddle. Walk Ride Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kaine pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia Senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right, so let's open up today with um, our news and current affairs. America, I'm going to throw this one straight back to you because you've got some good stuff to share. Okay, so uh, this uh, this news happened yesterday, and by happened, I mean mm-hmm. the article about it was published yesterday, June 8th. 
um, book workers were striking in solidarity against racist violence and discrimination, particularly in America, uh, which uh-huh. is where I am. Um, and just to kind of skim it for you, uh, which, of course, we're linking to this in the show notes as well. Um, and the article is very short. That's why I thought it was okay to kind of dip in and just read some of it to you. Um, just very little bit. Um, more than 1,300 book workers took part in a labor strike in Day of Solidarity yesterday to protest systemic racism within and outside the publishing industry. Um, That includes employees of Macmillan, Simon & Schuster, Penguin Random House, Hatchet, and HarperCollins, and others, of course. Um, So that was protesting, donating to bail funds in support Mm -hmm. of anti-racist efforts. Um, Just a lot of support um, and supporting work by black creators as well, which we totally need. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that we let our uh, literary fiction fans know about that. And I'm also linking in the show notes to a list of online Black-owned bookstores to support. So if you're like, there's not one in my area, which is totally possible, these are online. So that means that you can go um, really anywhere and order online. which uh, they're getting a ton of traffic right now, so some of their stuff is on back order. But that doesn't mean don't do it. Like you, we get, can wait. Get <laughs> yeah, get yourself in there. <laughs> um, it's it's a really great list, and it's a really long list. And if you're listening to the to this uh, to this podcast, and your bookstore is not on that list, you can email them, and they will add you. So it's uh, constantly growing, and I think it's a really important movement that we support. And, Thank you very much. Yeah, and I th- I think um, I- I'm really loving everything that I'm seeing about not just being not racist, but also being anti-racist and educating yeah. yourself and the people that you love. Um, so if you're thinking like, oh, wow, I know a person who really needs to, to learn more about this, now's a good time to buy that education or like that book for yeah. them. And start support, those discussions, right? right? And start those conversations. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and those are tough conversations. So they are. Um, there's also uh, I've seen a list about like how to talk to your family about things that like uh, like racism that are really uh-huh. hard to approach and so deeply entrenched in some like older generations that like you have to kind of have a formula to do it. So um, that information is out there as well. Uh, but yeah, I just thought that that was an important thing to acknowledge because it was weird. Yeah, it's really relevant. It's really relevant, and then it was weird that that last week, like we in, we had an interview and didn't mention any of it at all. But that was because of you know the the la- the lead time that we need to process the the mm. podcast itself and record it and get ready for it and everything. So just thank you, listeners, for being patient and also continuing to support causes that need our support. Yeah, you're good eggs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, best eggs you are. Yeah, right. and I think I think some of it like is is good eggs and being like I feel so helpless I don't know what to do. So I thought that this was like mm. channeling it in a in a positive, constructive uh, manner. Isn't yes, it? finding that thing that you can do with that right that whole moment of oh god where do I begin? You can begin here. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. All right. So um, to go along with that and maybe give you some ideas of things to order and to things to request from these uh, booksellers, mm-hmm. we wanted to draw your attention to the Lambda Awards, and they are now out. 
So Lambda is a, it's an organisation that works to promote and support champion and generally make a shout about LGBTQ positive texts uh, in the world. Yay, because it's Pride Month now as well, right? Yeah, so look at us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the 32nd awards are now out and they cover everything from young adult through to science fiction. So there's going to be something in there that suits you, whatever your tastes are. As this is a literary fiction podcast, uh, it's worthwhile for us to give you some recommendations, right? Of course. Yeah, so um, I was really um, thankful to Metonymy Press for sending me a review copy of this because in the current situation, bookshops and libraries just still aren't an option for me at the moment. Right. But I got a copy of Little Blue Encyclopedia for Vivian by Hazel Jane Plant. Uh, It was the winner of the trans category and it is beautiful. It's a... I spoke... um, a couple of episodes ago about my love for books that kind of throw format up in the air and see what happens mm-hmm. things like Ulipo uh all those novels that just really play around with medium and form and Little Blue Encyclopedia is it's a kind it's an encyclopedia of a TV show called Little Blue and it's like Ulipo meets David Lynch meets the best of nerd culture meets this incredibly beautiful story about grieving for the people that you love and it is just gorgeous and i'm so excited that i've discovered metonymy press through it and we will put a link to their website in the uh, show notes yes that sounds i love that title also it's beautiful isn't it yes just oh i feel like um, like that's the first place where i go to be like oh what a great yeah good start you know, like I know we say don't mm. judge a book by its cover, but I feel like the title should be somewhat indicative of what it's inside. So, yeah, but it's so I mean, important, the, isn't and the it? Cover and if you as mess well. it yeah. up, like it breaks it for you somehow. Yeah. All right. So, uh, translated literature, uh, translated literary fiction, translated books. We've done this um, a little bit already, but uh, and go back to episode two if you want more information on that and our picks that we did at that point. Uh, But we're revisiting it because it's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And right now, for me, these books that connect me to the world, connect me to the the human experience that isn't mine, that is uh, maybe a thousand miles across the world in a different direction, in a different time, place, situation. It's really important for me. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I agree, especially because... Um, we're not locked down, but we are not supposed to travel. And it's, if you can't travel, I feel like reading a book set in another place is the next best thing. And depending on how you travel, it's a little better, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, depending, honestly, because you can't go like back in time. Yes. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think we should clarify this, guys, that you cannot go back in time. I'm sorry. No, as much as we all have regrets that we would like to set straight. <laughs> yes. It's just not possible with our technology. <laughs> I know, my dudes. I'm sorry. But in the meanwhile, you can grab some books. And again, these are all things that you can be taking to these uh, list of the booksellers that we mentioned at the start. Yes. Head that way with these, because um, hopefully some of these will hit home for you and sound like uh, something that you might enjoy. Yeah. So... You want to start us off? No, go ahead. All right. All right. So I am going to be terribly timely and give something that is uh, literally just published, I think. Yes. Uh, So it's called Fracture and it's by Andres Newman. 
and it was translated from the Spanish by Nick Haystor and Lorenzo Gathia and it is a sort of pure literary fiction book. It's one of those books that plays around with a lot happening emotionally, mentally um, and it does that with some really lovely interesting twists of form and yeah it, it's 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 a good read i liked it a lot uh let me give you some pre-see rather than just sort of burbling about it that might be um constructive i don't know so yoshi watanabe experienced both hiroshima and nagasaki Oof. and this is kind of the fractures of how those experiences trace through his life so you know like um with an earthquake or something or the the ripples the effects of it Mm-hmm. and how they manifest in his psyche. So we learn about him through the voices of the women who loved him. We learn about himself through his own voice in a kind of interesting play around with first person, third person, interviews. Uh, for, um, and then we learn about him through uh, the perspective of a journalist who's really interested in his story for some strange reason. And yeah, so I think it's a brilliant, brilliant book. There's a moment in the first chapter where I kind of thought, I hate this, I hate this, I really don't get it, I don't like it. And then all of a sudden, like, it did this sentence and it pivoted and I thought, all right, you're going to be this sort of a book and that is really, really interesting to me where they take the rug out from under your feet, Mm -hmm. you know, and they make you kind of double look at the page and go, oh, yeah, okay, all right, you've got me. That sounds really interesting. Um, Also, both Hiroshima and Nagasaki... That sounds a lot. horrific twice. And mm. I can't imagine like not thinking about that every moment of every day if it's something that you experienced firsthand. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and it, t- it ties into uh, the Fukushima um, issues as well that they had with the nuclear power plant. Mm. So it, it, it's a big book and it's, it's beautifully put together. It sounds like it, especially because it plays with uh, perspective and with a title like Fracture. That would make sense. Yeah, definitely. So um, that is my first pick for you. But what did you... uh, you, I know you've got some really nice picks as well. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love your picks. (laughs) I believe that I have mentioned this on our show before, but I think I mentioned it in a What Are You Reading Now at the end. So... um, my first pick is also translated from Spanish, but it's from the Argentinian Spanish. Um, All right. It's called Magnetized Conversations with a Serial Killer by Carlos Busquet, and it is translated by Samuel Ruder. And it is nonfiction, but it is definitely literary, and it's based on a series of conversations, of course, um, that the author slash narrator had with a convicted serial killer. And it it's really fascinating to me. It, it was actually very scary, because not only is it nonfiction, but also uh, just the the perspective that the that the killer has where it's so clearly like, um, and I'm sure our listeners know this already, but it's fascinating to me to, to watch like from childhood where something goes off the rails, like where, where could have helped someone adjust to their, um, culture or things that were happening around them. And, and, and just see, like, uh, I mean, you can't ever pinpoint it, of course, because you just can't. Like, it, the human brain is not, like, 
it is a computer, but it's not like a, we don't work with logic. We work with emotions, no. you know? Um, I mean, we do, I'm not saying this well at all. Um, <laughs> people are not super predictable, but sometimes they are, or at least like their behaviors can be predicted. So, um, that's really interesting to me because he does talk about his childhood a lot. Um, and then the cascading failures that led to his crimes. Yeah. So I think that one is definitely a a good read. Um, it's also fairly short. Yeah. Can I cl- clarify? Is it like an actual real life serial killer? Yes. Wow. In Argentina. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty heavy, especially to be short. But it no, just—it no, also the- just came out like this this month, so hot off the press. Hey. All right. So, um, yeah, we're kind of moving through um, a couple of these translated fiction that stuck with us. And one of the great things about starting to read translated um, literature for me was the connections that it's made with people and places that I have never been to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, would never even really know how to get to without having to do a little bit of research, a little bit of work. Um and with writing for Book Riot, one of the articles I wrote was about the Latvian embassy in Washington. And they set up their uh, the first little free library to be located at a, a diplomatic embassy. Aww. It's adorable, right? I saw this story on Twitter and I thought, A, I have to write about it. And B, I have to get in touch and ask them with some questions because I just think it's such a lovely genuine thing to do it like it shares so much about what you have as your attitude towards life i just think it's great so from writing this piece for book right about the latvian uh little free library at the latvian embassy in washington we were i ended up talking with their uh, literature literature support board mm-hmm. and we stayed in touch which was really helpful and they helped source me some copies of some books to potentially review and to potentially look at And one of them was a book called The Cage by Albert Bells. And if you start anywhere with Latvian literature, can I tell you to start here? Yeah. It is. Yeah, do it. (laughs) Do it now. (laughs) Drop everything. Run and get this book. Um, But drop everything in a safe fashion. Um, Yeah, so The Cage, it was, uh, it's a mystery about the disappearance of an architect in Riga. Um, it, is writ- it was written during the time of communism. There is a lot of political commentary in there. There's some that I'm not um, nuanced enough to pick up yet on. Mm-hmm. But if you need a kind of reader-like, sort of sound-like reference, it's basically the animal farm of, of, of the literature. Oh, cool. It's so interesting and it's so... It, it's a mystery but then you learn about this guy's life through all the people that he's with and you shift from character to character and then you finally figure out what has happened to this guy this why he's disappeared and you kind of and i hope it's not too spoilerific um find out what the cage is and whether it's real whether it's fake and how it relates to our own our own personal cages and our cultural cages that we exist within um if, and if that's not too awful a, a summary of it, please get it. It's really good. I have a question. Go. Because in my head, the way you described it, it sounded similar to the unbearable light 
Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. Would you say that those are similar texts or no? Or is that not one that you're familiar? No, I don't, I've not read um, okay. that, no. It, it just... So my answer is maybe. Okay, <laughs> uh, fair enough. I just, the way you were describing it about like um, the revolving perspectives and... Um, it's somewhat, uh, this one that I'm talking about, the unbearable lightness of being is, um, somewhat magical, but in the face of a political, it's like a political satire, but told as magic. Right. Somewhat. Um. Okay. I know it's always been a, one of the, the, like the, the books that I really should be reading. We all have those. It's I know. Fun. And oh, it's God. a translated book as well from, uh, from, uh, Czech Republic, I believe. Yeah, I think if I'm summing up the cage as anything, um, it's the it's Animal Farm, and maybe with a little bit of uh, the Life of Pi by Jan Madhel. Okay. A little bit of that in, but yeah, it's it's a really smart, clever, small book. It's really slender as well. It it picks a a big punch in it. So yeah, I love that. I love it when novellas pack a punch. They do. It's so great, isn't it? It's like you've got to distill everything into such a short page and yet still have all that emotional heft yeah and, and also i think that it it sticks with you longer if a book is short because you don't have as much to process you can process it for longer maybe someone should tell victor hugo about it <laughs> <laughs> shall we go back in time and like just go vic mate right abbreviate it just a tad right i feel like that's what they did when they adapted it to a musical they're like, great oh. story, <laughs> too much. <laughs> I love it, so extra. but I'm just going to focus on this bit. Right. Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon Publishing. So I got a story with a little Old West debauchery, if you want to get a little messy. So there is a city steeped in the Old West mess. And in the city, a reporter is following every lead to a dangerous place, one that could bring him glory and fame or end his life. New York Times bestselling author Robert Dugoni is back with a gripping new thriller of corruption, vice, and murder set in Depression-era Seattle. It's about a reporter covering a hot murder trial who soon learns nothing is what it seems. The story can make his career if he lives to write about it. You can learn more at Amazon.com slash A Killing on the Hill. So yes, A Killing on the Hill by Robert Dugoni is what you need to pick up if you are into some Depression-era danger in Seattle. It's a city of big dreams and dark ambitions. And this reporter gets caught up in the muck. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Amazon Publishing for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. 
This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. My next pick is also a shorter book. It is a novel. Mm -hmm. Um, It was originally published in 1988, and uh, it was translated into English in 2017. It's called Hadriana and All My Dreams by René Depestre. I don't know how to say his name. I'm not good with French pronunciations. I did my best. I apologize. Um, It's translated by uh, Kayama L. Glover from the French. It's set in Haiti, and it's a combination of magic, fantasy, eroticism, and delirious humor that explores universal questions of race and sexuality so that is so uh, i know yeah and in case you need me to really like push it home um there's a cursed human butterfly with an insatiable libido so i mean how could you not yeah um we also (laughs) it's uh set during carnival so how could you not and there is a literal zombie bride so not a not a zombie in the sense of like a Romero walking ghoul, but a zombie in the sense of the Haitian voodoo zombie. They're pretty different. Wow. So yeah, it's this sounds so great. Every I inch of this description really cannot oversell it. It is so good. Um, again, like I said, it was originally published in 1988. Excuse me. Um, it's set in 1938. And mm-hmm, oh, I love that me too, especially the clothes. Um, ah. And it was, pu- it was uh, published in English in 2017. And Why are we so slow at doing I this? I don't understand. Ah. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I think that protest that we mentioned um, in the mm. opening is important because how could we have not known? Like, as an English speaker, I am personally offended that no one got this to me faster. Mm. You know? It's just every inch of it, as you were saying it, I was like, this is perfect. This is great. Why has it taken like 300 years for English to translate it? I I don't know, but I'm super grateful to um, the translator because... Yeah, good work. Really. And it is from Akashic Press as well. So also, I know you were mentioning earlier, like, some of the people that you've met through Book Riot. Book Riot uh-huh. is such an incredibly rich community to just yeah. invest in. And I'm so grateful to them for opening. Because I would have never found this book probably if I hadn't been doing research for them. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Magnetized. You know, like, so I just, yeah. I really like how um, our mission is so inclusive. I really Yeah, I think that. that's a great thing. Um doing this podcast because we are all readers just like you listening Mm -hmm. and we work to try and find these interesting unique uh individual stories that can't maybe be told in any other ways and so maybe we don't um discover them immediately but we discover them and we actively search out for them right to share with you because they're so great and they're so interesting yes and this one in particular again hadriana and all my dreams Get it, do it, add to cart, <laughs> do it. I, it is so bomb. I cannot, I just, it's a human butterfly. It's a human butterfly who was punished by a voodoo priest 
for his insatiable libido. I mean, done. Take. And do you know what the thing? The thing about it is, transforming him into a butterfly did not get rid of that libido. Oh wow! I know. So there's like <laughs> floats of him in the in Carnival. It's y'all. I like I said, I can't oversell it. Okay, <laughs> I'll, but I'll stop talking about it because I know that. Y'all are like, okay, okay, we get it now, Louise. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm just making notes here of like the things that I'm going to have to add to my uh, to be read list and my reservation list at the library. Oh my gosh, I do um, that every time we record. <laughs> I know. So I've got Hadriana all in in Hadriana in all my dreams is now going down. Mm-hmm. But one of the other ones that I wanted to share with everybody is a uh, it's a book called Celestial Bodies by Joe Carr Alharty. And it was translated by Marilyn Booth. And it is the first book by a female Amani writer to be translated into English. Woohoo. Wow. Finally. Mm-hmm. And the first book that was originally written in Arabic to win the Man Booker International Prize. So it has some big credentials. Luckily yeah. enough, it sounds pretty great. So I'm just going to share the blurb with you because, okay. as I say, it's one that I've got on the... Um, reservation yeah and sometimes those blurbs like you really can't condense it any better than they've already done no no and i'm so desperate to like get my library back but only you know when it's safe for that to happen and i want my library to survive this so i make it very clear that there are certain books that i will order from them certain Mm -hmm. books that i will get through them and certain books i'll source elsewhere but yeah celestial bodies is on my list and uh yeah this is what it's all about in the village of Al-Awafi in Oman, we encounter three sisters, Maya, who marries after a heartbreak, Asma, who marries from a sense of duty, and Haula, who chooses to refuse all offers and await a reunion with the man she loves, who has emigrated to Canada. These three women and their families, their losses and love, their losses and loves, unspill beautifully against the backdrop of a rapidly changing Oman, a country evolving from a traditional slave-owning society into its complex present. Through the sisters, we glimpse a society in all its degrees, from the very poorest of the local slave families to those making money through the advent of new wealth. Sold. That is everything I Mm -hmm. want. A big, epic-y, woman-centred story of life and love and living, and I will tell you all about it when I get my hands on it. Yes, you were talking about on our last episode, or maybe not the last one, but very recently, that you want an epic stat mm, right this is the one that has been sort of ticking all my little this boxes. might be the one i know yeah it's so funny how also we're like oh i love a novella and then we're immediately like but i love it when they live forever <laughs> you know like we just love if it's good just keep it coming you know yeah i'm like 10 pages great three thousand better everything <laughs> right just everything. It's like watching a movie versus watching a TV show that just, you know, like it just keeps, keeps coming. They're both mm. good in different ways. But I love that moment, right? When you get like a bit greedy with what you're reading, you're just wanting more and mm. more and more of what it is. And if it can provide that, God, that's the best feeling. Yes, uh, it that is the best feeling. And then sometimes with novella, I will go research everything that the author said about it or their interviews, and then I'll go back and look yeah. at it with that in mind. So it lives a little longer in mm. the in the discovery process when I do that. Also, uh, and I think we talked about this before, but 
with translated literature in particular, some words don't translate, so they leave them as they are Yeah. before translation. And then I go into a deep, deep Wikipedia wormhole researching those terms and, and why we don't have words for them um, or, or why we haven't adopted it into English yet. Mm. You know, because sometimes we do that, like plenty of times. Like when we don't have words for them in English, we'll just leave them and adopt the the original language's phrasing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, I was thinking when you were saying that about, I read in uh, Welsh recently, it was like the sentence was in full Welsh, but then the phrase about weekend was in English. So it was, it was just that trans, that sudden um, hmm. interruption of the Welsh into this English word. It was great. It was really interesting. I don't know how accurate that is. <laughs> Please get in touch if you are a Welsh speaker and tell me what the Welsh is for weekend. I'm, I'm really interested. That is interesting. Uh hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know that English is pretty much an amalgam of, like, whatever. But, Mm. I mean, not whatever. I know it's the three main ones and then some additions. But, uh, yeah. um, Yeah. Uh, Language is funny. That that was my thesis (laughs) of that. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Uh, Language is weird. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But while we're talking about books translated from the Arabic, I have two. Um, Lovely. Yeah. So, uh, in grad school, I took... Middle Eastern Women in Literature, and I would not have discovered this otherwise, but it's called Pillars of Salt by Fadia Fakir. It is an incredible story about a woman living in a Bedouin society. So uh, just for me, that culture is so intriguing because it's been Mm. so exotified and othered that to to read about it from a person living in it um yeah is is a very different experience from watching a movie about it for example um or or even reading reading about it during a more orientalist period like it was just so different and i love how also there are like the easter eggs of like a pillar of salt that's lot's wife who looked back on history you know like she outside of the dead sea and that's where this takes place is near that pillar of salt but it has like that double meaning in the title um it also uh it, it takes place in jordan and um some of the names again uh, they're spelled in English because those are the letters we understand. So the way they translate into Arabic is not always consistent, if that makes sense, like with pronunciation. Um, right. And, and this one is translated from the, I believe, Levantine Arabic, which although is Arabic, is somewhat different from like Coptic, which is uh, other. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's just different. It's like, a, it's. I can't tell if it's a dialect or like an actual different language because I don't know that much Arabic only a little anyway all that to say this is a story of two women confined in a mental hospital in Jordan during and after the British mandate Maya spelled M-A-H-A so could be Maha could be Maya right either way (laughs) we don't really know that's what that's why I was saying all of that um, pronunciation to phonetics um Anyway, a peasant woman, Maya, a peasant, a peasant woman from the Jordan Valley and Um Saad from Amman find themselves sharing a room. After initial tensions, they become friends and share their life stories. So you get two very different perspectives yeah. of the same place and time. 
just really interesting to me. I loved reading that book. I read it probably twice, cover to cover, like in, like I didn't want it to end, and I felt like I didn't grasp oh. it while it was happening. So I went, you know, finished it, and I was like, start over and <laughs> watch it, and, like, read it again right away. Um, just like this isn't finished, this isn't over. I'm keeping going. Right, and I felt like it was still living in my mind. So, mm. like, you can't start something else when that one hasn't really like put itself to bed. Yeah, I now I get that. Yeah, um, and it's I think like a a medium sized book. I guess, but like three hundred pages. You know, so it's not like a novella or an epic, which <laughs> I think is kind of what we've been pitching in this episode so far. Yeah. But we're giving yeah. a bit of everything, right? We've got yeah. little, little big, a bit of bite size. Right. Um, I also, um, another translation from the Arabic, really loved Woman at Point Zero by Nawal El-Sadawi, which is uh, also, trans- again, like I said, translated from the Arabic, but it takes place in Cairo. So it's pretty significantly different in its origin. Um, it was originally published in 1975 and it's a fictionalized account of a series of interviews that El Sadawi, which is the the author, conducted with a woman on death row who was accused and convicted of murder. Um, but it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, okay. Uh, and not to spoil anything, but this happens like, it doesn't spoil anything because she says at the beginning of the story, like, she's going to be executed probably tomorrow. So Okay, so it's like a tale, it's against, like really, a, like a tale against time. Yes, it's telling it against time. And it's two women talking about uh, women's experiences in the 70s in, in Egypt. So um, also very interesting as far as like two different perspectives. Um, class comes into play a lot as well as education and um Right. A- access to different, um, I, I think I'm not even access, but it's like attitudes toward marriage are very significant between the two women. Mm. Um, it's a, sh- it's a really short novel, but like you said, it really packs a punch and I just, it's so interesting when you read literature translated from another culture and space and time that was so, uh, I, mean, I don't even say that it's short, but just so like glossed over by history books that mm. and or or maybe it wasn't but I know for me I don't learn from facts I learn from stories like those that's what sticks with me so yeah this was a yeah. discussion that um I think I that was on Twitter the other day actually about the history that and and you know from my perspective it's the British curriculum what you were taught in history what other things that your country tells you about we live in historical times right now for sure Mm -hmm, for sure um but the history the that i was taught in school was basically castles right castles (laughs) saxons bit of romans and that's about it and the concept of the british empire and all its messy messy horrible ways and you know the impact of that on a world of 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 indigenous peoples it was never ever ever a thing i remember quite recently uh watching the film gandhi and that's quite Mm -hmm. an old film now right that's 80s isn't it um yeah i watched it in uh sixth grade i think yeah but i'd only ever just come to it fairly recently and i was just thinking 
none of this was covered in school none of this about the raj about the problems that it was about the rampantly horribly uh imperialist colonialist attitudes that were expressed at that time none of this was referenced and we have to seek out and find these stories elsewhere and we have to support those people who are telling these stories and who are making that happen i agree and just to kind of toss my hat in the ring as well we learned about all of england's terrible atrocities but Mm. ours were like well but it was a long time ago and it's like well it wasn't as long ago as the british ones like it was was just like it's we had a very like i don't even like blindly patriotic education and i just remember being like i mean definitely gandhi is terrible but are we just going to gloss over like I mean, not Gandhi, but, like, that whole experience that he was protesting. Sorry, I misspoke. Mm. Um, that, that's a terrible thing that happened. Um, are we just going to ignore, like, the the genocide of Columbus? Like, are we just not going to acknowledge that as what it was? Like, are we still yeah, like, having that it's whole so, Yeah. It, yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's a lot, isn't it? And you kind of think, well, and particularly for me, who looks at children's literature and works very hard to get these stories to these children you kind of think actually the stories that are told are not necessarily the stories that are accurate or representative of the world that we live in Mm -hmm. by any means yeah uh like uh for example i can remember we had like one paragraph in my world history textbook about chernobyl one paragraph and i thought it happened in the 30s and it happened in I think the 80s, like very recently. Mm. So, I mean, it is, I mean, and I get, of course, you can't do everything, but let's, let's talk about like, can we reform the syllabus a little bit so we don't repeat the history because we don't know it? Like that doesn't seem. Yeah. There are, um, related to this, there's been a lot of reading lists sort of floating around online and several of the key publishers have been promoting their own anti-racist reading list uh reading about representative histories reading about um how to understand the stories of the cultures that you are in and that they um talk to yeah and it is a better late than never effort for sure yes definitely (laughs) yeah but i'd like them just to you know come back to it in a couple of months and just see are you still exerting the same energy and the same drive towards it but do look out for those resources and do look out for them and try and um just be frank you know it's not a problem to admit the things that you don't know i have been doing that a lot and just kind of going right i don't know about this let's find it out no i think that's a really important mindset to have actually because nobody knows everything yeah i think it's really redundant to kind of go okay i am fully knowledgeable on this topic um because no one ever is, as you say. So to find it and to have that moment and books form such a vital part of that, that I hope some of the texts we've recommended um, can help you on your own respective journeys. Yes. Well said. Yeah. So that translated literary fiction. Yes. And we have um, a link that we're going to include as well in the show notes. Um, 50 must read books by women in translation, which is a book right article. Yeah. So, um, of course, we will list all of the things that we talked about in this episode. But that's for, like, if you're, if you're like, yeah, okay, did all of that. Need some more. Um, <laughs> women in translation. You are our people. It's fine. <laughs> right. 
Okay, Louise, what are you reading now? So I've gone back to um, a children's book this week. Uh, it is Quorum Boy by Jamila Gavin. And she is a British writer who is very undersung. And she should be more sung about. So uh, here I am singing. Uh, but Yay. not actually singing because that's scary. <laughs> and terrifying. No, no one needs that. Um, so yeah, Coram Boy. It's, the sound, it's, it's a historical children's fiction, uh, middle grade reading. It is about a boy and the Coram Hospital, which was a place for foundlings. So people who um, had no parents at that point. And it's kind of the life and story of one boy in particular. And she weaves a lot of social commentary into it. A lot of uh, class. There's a big mystery uh, to solve. And it is just a real classic, classy, well-told adventure story. And yeah, I recommend it immensely. And Jamila Govin has written some beautiful Indian folk tales, uh, stories of um, Indian myth and legend and she has this really gentle storyteller kind of voice that you can't help um escape from she's really a very beautiful writer so yeah jamila govin and that is coram boy wonderful thank you um and what about yourself so i am actually reading a book in translation i just started it because it released today hey. um yeah it's called the garden of monsters it is by Lorenza Pieri. It is translated by Liesel Schillinger. Um, I barely started it, but it's a family story that's structured around, um, like the table of contents is the major arcana from the tarot. Oh. Yeah, um, which I was delighted to see when I opened it because I don't know if y'all remember, but um, I was trying to read a book called The Cultural History of Tarot, and then the world exploded again. <laughs> so I couldn't really, like, I needed a narrative. I could, I had set that aside for now, but I think this is going to help me get back into reading about that. And um, I just finished Hadriana and All My Dreams, like we talked about before, and that yeah. dealt with a lot of not the same folklore, but similar folklore. Uh, that I think is going to help me get back into my research. Um, but back, it, hey. yeah, but back to the Garden of Monsters. Um, it's in a rural, I believe, Tuscan, Italy. Mm-hmm. And um, a woman comes to town and rents this old farmhouse that's way overpriced because they can, because she's a tourist. And she mm-hmm. starts uh, sculpting the major arcana. Ooh. Yeah, so that's as far as I've gotten so far, but uh, I'm only about 30 pages in, and I'm really excited about it. It's The translation is really beautiful, too. So, yeah. Nice. So that was The Garden of Monsters by... Lorenza Pieri. Excellent. All right, yeah. All right. So that's the end of our show for today. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, we would love it if you could leave a review or rating wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you to our sponsors and thank you for listening. Thank you. Yes. Where can they find you online, Louise? So you can find me at my website, which is didyouoverstoptothink.com. And I am at Fan on Twitter. And I'm really like both of us keen get in touch with us if there's things you want us to talk about resources that you want us to mention we're conscious that this is um interesting complex challenging times for a lot of people and if there's something you want us to give us uh if there's something you want us to give a shout out to and we can and we're able we will do it 
sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we love it when our listeners get in touch. For yeah, example, definitely. someone DM'd me on Twitter and said, if you want more fairy tale epics, you got to go Bitter Greens. So add to so. cart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, and, and I had heard about it, but then she pitched it, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'm in. Um, so that was great. Um, oh yeah. You can find me on Twitter at MK McBrayer and Instagram at Mary Kay McBrayer. And thank y'all so much for listening. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye.